You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Hey there, Cypher Christian Church. This is Ryan Hale, and uh, I live on the island of Sicily in the city of Catania. And uh, today, actually, we're here in Athens, here with some of my teammates, uh, Mark and Paul, and um, we're here meeting with guys uh, all across Europe who want to see the gospel reach those who are unreached. Um, we've had people coming from Africa and from the Middle East and really all over the world here in Europe. And, um, and you guys have played an important role in, uh, in seeing new workers be able to work alongside of us to reach them. I say that because um, you all helped us with the Zume project uh, in translating that into Italian and helping to fund that project for us. And um, it's an amazing thing because um, Jesus said that we are to pray for more workers. And as we've prayed for those uh, more workers, we now need to be able to prepare them. Um, some of you have done the Zume project there in, uh, in Houston. And um, you know that um, it's, a, it's a powerful tool to be able to learn how to make new disciples. You know, it's in this place, we're standing here on, uh, on Mars Hill, it's in this place that, um, that Paul actually said something that's very important um, to, uh, to the ministry that we're doing here. Um, he said this in Acts 17, he said, And he, speaking of God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he's actually not far from each one of us. You know, all these people that are moving from Africa and the Middle East, I'm not saying that God is moving them, but he's certainly going to use um, the people that are in these places here in Europe uh, to be able to reach them. And, and so by translating uh, the Zume Project into Italian and teaching uh, people to make disciples among them, we can raise up an army of people to be able to uh, to make disciples of people that have never heard the gospel before. And you guys have played an important strategic role in that. Welcome back to Zume Training. In this session, we'll talk about disciples and the church. What is a disciple and how do you make one? How do you teach a follower of Jesus to obey all of his commands? How do you take someone who's lived their life as a captive of the world and equip them to become a citizen of God's kingdom? Bentornati in Zume Training. In questa sessione parleremo dei discepoli e della Chiesa. Cos'è un discepolo? Come si fa un discepolo? Come un seguace di Gesù insegna ad obbedire a tutti i suoi comandamenti? Come prendi qualcuno che ha vissuto la sua vita come prigioniero del mondo e lo equipaggi per diventare cittadino del regno di Dio? We've had many uh, of our Italian brothers who have been interested, who have engaged. Uh, we've even had baptism services and worship services. But now we can turn them loose to, uh, to make disciples amongst the immigrants uh, that, uh, that are coming there into, into Sicily. So thank you for that. God bless you guys. And um, may God receive all the glory for the work that you guys have done and that we're doing together. So a year ago in September, I was fortunate enough to be one of the people that was sent 
and work with Ryan and his family and the team that was there. Now, we're not all called to get sent away and leave our family, grandparents, and go into a foreign country where we do not know the language. Now, last week, there were cards in those seats with a lot of glitter in them, right? And glitter, like, magnifies. It grows, and it spreads, and it spreads. So there was a little disconnect on why we had those there, so I'm going to explain that and hopefully clear it up. So now the cards are in the back, like where your Bibles are. You'll find a card there. We would love to bless these families that are serving for us. And we can't go and hug and kiss every single one of them. But we can send them a card of encouragement, one of love, one of appreciation, thanking them for leaving their comfort zone and their family to be in a country that truly is foreign to them. In the pews, I think there are also a list of different names that you can just write on the card. And, you know, you say, well, I don't really know them. What in the world could I write? You do know them. (laughs) Because we have a common bond. We know Jesus. We know his word. And we are called to share that, even when it's uncomfortable. So you do know them. Now, on another note, we have done Christmas in September with Broadgum, which was Winfern, and they moved near closer to us, and they sent us some thank you notes. And you know, I just want to tell you, you are a very generous church, and I praise you for that, and I praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. But let me read these notes pretty quick to see if I can do that. Thank you so much for your continuous generosity. It warms my heart and fills my spirit to see Christians who walk the walk. You are all an inspiration. Thank you for helping us love kids and plant seeds. Appreciation. We don't even know how we're touching the lives. Your mission of supporting our school and staff inspires me to continue with my own commitment to our Lord. Look what we've done just by showing our love. When I promised to try to educate those that life, society, etc., thought were too difficult to educate, you really support the idea of no child being left behind. Keep praying for us. Our prayers are important and they are valuable. But moving on, we have this bulletin and it has so much information in it. Um, So I couldn't even cover all of that for you right now. But I will talk about Christmas Eve on the 24th, 5 p.m. service. And uh, there's different events for the youth that's happening right now. So I just pray that you will find the time to write an encouraging note. And for the Pancrats and the Jugalards, if you just want to give a little gift card, like an Amazon card, you can slip it in the box at the missions table. It's set up and ready to go any amount anonymously. But we want to bless them as they are serving for us. They are our feet. They are our hands. This inspire them and encourage them as well. I just want to say a quick prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the blessings of this church of the people you have put in these pews, whose hearts are generous and mighty and love all people. I ask for your blessings be poured upon them, Lord, 
and good health. We love you and we praise you in your son's most precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Uh, my name is Damon Mendel. This is my son, Jacob. Um, Kevin, I'm going to go off script for a minute here. <laughs> Somebody better get him some water because uh, you might pass out. Last time we shared a stage, it was about this size, but there was probably about 800 kids <laughs> in Africa that were watching us. And uh, I got past the mic and I broke out into a, a gospel gangster rap. So <laughs> Kevin has a fear of that. <laughs> In 2005, uh, me, my wife Jackie, my son Jacob, we lived in a tent. We were homeless due to a meth addiction. In 2007, I was saved from my sin by the grace of God. Our family has been coming here to Fair for just about 10 years now. Uh, Jacob was baptized here. And uh, CFCC, Fair Christian Church... Um, all of you, you're our family. Uh, and I want to thank each and every single one of you. you. You've seen our family through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I couldn't do life without the body of Christ. And you are the body of Christ. So even as powerful as my testimony may sound, I forget. I forget what God has done. Sometimes we forget what God has done for us. I mean, life gets in the way, all the hustle and bustle and time. Time can just dull memories, no matter how good they are. So I'm sure we can all agree to some extent that sometimes we forget about all the answered prayers that God's answered for us. We just, sometimes we forget, we get caught up in life. So Advent for me it's a time to reflect, to pause, and to step out from all the yuckiness of the hustle and bustle of the you know, commercial Christmas season. And to remember and to celebrate what our Heavenly Father has done for us through the birth and through the life of Jesus Christ. The word Advent comes from the Latin word that means coming or arrival. For centuries, the church has celebrated the four-week Advent season by lighting candles in a wreath and reflecting on the coming of Jesus as told in Scripture. The circle of the wreath represents God's never-ending love for us. The evergreens represent Christ's gift of eternal life, and the candles announce Jesus as the light of the world. Last week's candle represented hope. The second candle of Advent is the candle of peace. The word of peace in Hebrew is shalom, which means completeness or well-being. Jesus did not come just to end wars, but to make us complete by saving us from our sinfulness. All we have to do is trust in Jesus as the Son of God who came to save us, and we will have the peace or shalom of God. Would you guys please stand for the reading of God's word? Isaiah 40. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her 
that her warfare has ended, that her inequity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to worship you and hear your word this morning, forgive us of our sins, dear Lord. Keep the memories of all the times you've saved us and answered our prayers. Keep it fresh in our minds, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Open our hearts, Father. Open the heavens. Flood our church with the Holy Spirit. And allow our hearts and souls to worship you freely this morning. Be with Dale as he delivers a message. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church family. Oh, golly, we're almost at Christmas. We're almost at 2020. Um, I don't know if you've seen the bulletin or not. There is some exciting news where um, a gift has been made of um, someone or a couple has offered a $50,000 match for um, giving above and beyond our normal giving between now and the end of the year. And so it's the way I see it, it's like a stretch, right? It's stretching us for our above and beyond our giving. What that's going to allow us to do is going to close out our deficit and allow us to be able to start 2020 on a, on a positive trajectory. So that's really exciting. Refer to your bulletin for more details on that. When I think about, you know, stretching and the opportunity to, you know, get out of the comfort zone and it's scary because, you know, what if God doesn't show up? But then again, what if he does? And that, for me, sometimes it's even scarier than if he doesn't show up. So, um, you know, thinking about stretch opportunities and you know, where God has just showed up and been so faithful in my life. Not long ago, I had asked God to give me a passion for his word. You know, I understand, well, I'd heard stories in the Bible and I knew the stories, but I didn't really understand, you know, how they fit together. And, but as I dug into his word, he was faithful and he showed up there and helped me to more understand the story you know, the seamless story that runs with a blood-red thread from the first, you know, chapter in Genesis all the way to the last chapter in Revelation. You know, the, the common story of, of Christ. And we're now in the season where, you know, we're awaiting for our Savior, right? And this is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful time of year. And, and as, as Christians, one of the things that strikes me is not a lot has changed. You know, the Bible, people think, oh, it's, it's written a long time ago. It's irrelevant. No. It is just as relevant today as it was when it was written. And I am just like those Israelites wandering around in the desert complaining. And, I mean, God knows us, but he calls us back to him. He calls, you know, sinful man, you know, back to himself. So much to the point that he sent his son to rescue us. And so, you know, here we are. We're waiting for our Christ who was foreshadowed in the Old Testament the final payment for our sins, the one who stands in our place, and he takes our punishment that we deserve, but he is the one who takes it. 
And he's coming for us in a most unexpected way, right? He's coming for us in the, you know, as a baby, as the most helpless of all, here comes our king. And so I really love how Angie Smith in, in her book, Seamless, puts it. 400 years before a baby was born in Jerusalem, a prophet cried out to the people with the words, behold, he is coming. All of these words, these tangled messes of the people in the first books of the Bible, they tell us that it's not over. We have a king that won't be thwarted, who keeps his word and loves his people with a ferocity that defies logic. Wait for him, they say. He will be born humbly with the flesh of a newborn baby, but don't misunderstand. All authority and power will belong to him, and his life will draw a line through eternity. There have been kings, yes, but after the silence of 400 years, we will hear the words that still our restless souls. The only true king has finally come. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just come before you today. Lord, we thank you for all you've given us. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Father, we just wait with expectancy at at your son. Lord, we pray that you would show us the blessings that you've given to us. Lord, we pray that you would stretch us, Father, that you would remind us that you love us. You know, as we're in places that, you know, that you're there with us, Lord, we're in all different kinds of places. Thank you for your love you continue to pour out on us lord we just ask that you would take these offerings and use them for your glory father use them to increase your kingdom and make it abundantly clear that you are the only reason why this happened it's in your son's name we pray amen coming. He is coming. I love those two phrases. Open up your eyes to see it. Open up your ears to hear it. You realize if we don't slow down, if we don't breathe in deep and exhale long, we will race through the Christmas holidays and miss the significance of the birth of Jesus, the king who came as a baby, who should point us forward to the coming of King Jesus. I cheated this morning. Um, We're looking at Matthew 1, Matthew 1, 1 through 17. We're actually looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the King. I mean, when we think of genealogies, a lot of people would just skip them as they're reading the Bible. That is the truth, right? Genealogy equals boring, right? I mean, who needs to read all those names? Today, we're going to look further at this genealogy. 
we're going to see that this genealogy to the people of God, it was not boring to thousands of Jewish believers. You know, we look at the book of Matthew and we see it from our perspective, but realize that this book was not written until thousands of Jewish people came to know Jesus Christ. Thousands. Many, many priests have come to know Jesus Christ by the time this book is in their hands. It's pretty amazing. Gentiles have had their eyes open to the gospel of Jesus Christ by the time this, not this book, but the book of Matthew, the good news according to Matthew, that letter is in their hands. So I'm telling you, when this genealogy is read at the beginning of this gospel, it has great significance. N.T. Wright writes these words. For many cultures, ancient and modern, and certainly in the Jewish world of Matthew's day, this genealogy was the equivalent of a roll of drums, of a roll, just think of the drums rising in volume. It's equivalent of the roll of a roll of drums, a fanfare of trumpets. I won't do that trumpet sound for you, but you can hear it in your mind, can't you? A fanfare of trumpets and a town crier calling for attention. Any first century Jew would find the family tree both impressive and compelling. The king is coming. Open up your eyes and see it. Open up your ears and hear it. The Jewish people, these many, many believers, they realize as they read this genealogy, they are reminded why they are following the one named Jesus. Jesus is the one and only true king of Israel. We're only looking at one sentence in this genealogy. We'll look at it. We'll read it three or four times. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, guys, if you're not careful, you will take that one sentence to describe only half of the first chapter of chapter one in Matthew's gospel. But that's not what this first sentence is about. That first sentence is not just about a genealogy. It is the what genealogy? The what? The what? The what? Book. You see that? Yeah, it's too basic, isn't it? We just pass it up. Seriously, we just pass it up. It's not the genealogy, and here you have 16 verses about the genealogy. No, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The original Greek word genealogy, it's very interesting. It is the word Genesis. Genesis, 
creation, beginning. You see, Matthew's not writing about the creations of the heavens and the earth. He is writing about the new creation, the one who has come. The word became flesh and dwelt among men. He is writing about the story, the history. That's another way the word Genesis is translated. The story, the history of Jesus Christ. By the way, I dare you to just take some time, read the whole gospel of Matthew and find the words Jesus Christ again. You will not find them. The words together, Jesus Christ, occur one time in the Gospel of Matthew. It's significant. It's a word representing nobility. The combination of words represent the Messiah. The combination of words represent the one who is the deliverer, the savior. That is what Jesus, the Greek word, the Hebrew equivalent, Yeshua, Joshua, it means Jehovah delivers or Jehovah saves. So this Jehovah saves Jesus The word Jesus is used, I believe it's like 150 times in the book of Matthew. By the way, another little tidbit, never someone speaking the word in the gospel of Matthew. Only used in the narrative setting of Matthew using the word Jesus as a descriptive word. As if the word Jesus, the king, is too holy to even use. The word Christ, Jesus, then Christ, Christ is used 17 times. The word Christ, Christos, is a word tied to the Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah, and it means the anointed one. Jesus, God saves through the anointed one of God. The story of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our coming king. He is the son of David, the son of David, and he is the son of Abraham. Look at this verse just about the savior concept. Mary, who some see as perfect without sin, that's not what she proclaimed. She was a person in need of a savior just like we are. Did you know that? How do you know that, Dale? Well, she says so. And Mary said, Luke 1, 46 through 48, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Jehovah saves For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Jesus was the son of David. 
It's critical if you're going to establish anointed one status, Messiah status, that Jesus be the son of David. In 2 Samuel 7, 12, we see a prophecy from Nathan, a prophecy no human king could ever fulfill. Solomon, the son of David, could not fulfill this prophecy. Listen to it. When your days are fulfilled, he's speaking it to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You say, well, Dale, that's not significant. That could be Solomon. But if you keep reading, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established, how long? Forever. The king is coming. His throne shall be established forever. We do not serve a human king. We serve an eternal king. The king God sent. The king this genealogy is about. The anointed one. He is here. He has come. That's what Matthew is saying. The one you've been waiting for is come. And God longs for us with our Western ears to hear that same message today. He's not just the son of David, though. He is the son of Abraham, the father of the people of God, the father of the people of faith, the one who left home and went to where he didn't even know where he was going, but he followed God's call and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And through him, All the nations of the earth would be blessed, Scripture says. In fact, God says those words. Genesis 12, 3, God said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's occurring right now, right now. Do you realize there are millions and millions and millions of people right now? And as Doris said, she's not saying God causes it, but God works good and bad. And there are refugees all over the world hearing the gospel for the first time. I literally met Muslim refugees on the streets of Catania who did not know, had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I had the privilege of sharing it with them. The nations are being blessed through Abraham, through Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ. Zume is a tool, and I won't go into that tool, but I will go into the fact that we believe that local churches should bless local communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. And some churches in other parts of the world, just like the church here, has often forgot about its own community. 
And so we travel to Europe to share the gospel with Muslim refugees because the majority of the Italian church would not share the gospel with Muslim refugees. But God is opening the door. And the church there in Catania is accepting the responsibility to make disciples of all nations that have come to them and are walking on their streets. Most Italians in Catania, for logical reasons, will not even speak to a refugee, will not even look at a refugee. Again, I can't explain it, but I'm telling you they have logical reasons. But you see, the gospel, the gospel supersedes logic. Is it logical that God would send his son for you? I didn't deserve Jesus. You say, yeah, it's logical. I'm the best, best thing around. Don't tell me. I don't want to know if you believe that, right? Right, I don't want to know. I mean, the gospel, I mean, there is logic involved in the gospel. I'm not saying that. There is reason involved in the gospel. But I'm telling you, it blows your mind when you recognize the fact that the creator God took on the form of a servant and died on a cross so you and I might have a relationship with the Father. That is good news. And it's news we've been called to share. The king is coming. Son of David, son of Abraham, the God of grace. Is God a God of grace? This is our key principle for today. The God of grace. Jesus was sent by the, let's just change that word, the God of grace to be our king of grace. Jesus was sent by the God of grace to be our king of grace. Would you just personalize that with me this morning? I'm gonna ask that you say it with me, but I want you to say it this way. Jesus was sent by the God of grace to be my king of grace. Say that with me. Jesus was sent by the God of grace to be my king king of grace. You see, this genealogy is something that I hope you will see differently. And I'm going to give you a few names to tell you why you should see it differently. First name I want to talk about in this genealogy, David, King David. He is a man after God's own heart, correct? And yet, I'm not being funny, I'm being dead serious, regardless of your thoughts about this movement, David would be the poster child for the Me Too movement. Think about it. He was a person of power. He saw a woman who was naked on another roof. He sent someone to summon her to his palace. He had intercourse with her. She became pregnant. 
His soft plan A was to invite her husband home so that maybe he would sleep with his wife and he could be given credit for the child. But Uriah, who is in this genealogy, was so faithful as a soldier that he slept outside his house on the doormat. And so David had to resort to vicious plan B. Pretty much he told them to abandon Uriah on the battlefield so that he would be slaughtered. That man is in the genealogy of Jesus. That's a God of grace who recognizes we're in need of a king of grace. David's eyes were open to his sin and he said, have mercy on me, O God. Psalm 51, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified with your words and blameless in your judgment. Another name in the genealogy. Ahaz. I'm going to just let scripture speak for itself. Now, again, this man, this king is in the genealogy of Jesus. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Romalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his sons as an offering. You think you've done some bad things in life? Do you think your rebellion is beyond God's grace? I'm telling you, that's, that's gross, is it not? That's ugly. According to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. There's other passages that if you look it up, you'll realize that prostitution, cultic prostitution occurred under these green trees. Manasseh. Let's look at him. Manasseh is interesting because he brings the worship of the sun and the stars into God's temple. That's detestable to God. He also sacrifices his children. All right? That's detestable to God. He's in the genealogy of Jesus. Second Chronicles 33, verse 12. You say, Dale, please don't tell us anymore. There's good news. You might say he was on death row in Babylon. He was in jail. And God opens his eyes to his rebellion. Second Chronicles 33, 12. And when he was in distress, 
He entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. I've had, had a very close friend Not as close today, but he could not understand a person like Manasseh. And I'll even say he couldn't understand Simon Peter. He said, I just don't get it. He had no respect for Simon Peter. Let me be clear. He couldn't understand how someone who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, could deny Christ. If you struggle with that, you struggle with most of what I'm saying right now. Because you really don't believe people on death row come to Jesus. You just don't believe it can happen. Oh, it can happen and it does happen. It happens. You see, people who do despicable things that you would just say, I just cannot believe that. God reaches down and transforms their lives. The God of grace, the God of grace sends us a king of grace. This theme, this theme is in the genealogy of Jesus. There's four ladies, they're all Gentile ladies and and ladies, I wanted to show you some despicable men so that you know I'm not picking on ladies, right? And so the truth of the matter is, ladies typically would not even be present in a genealogy. They just would not. Women were not highly valued in society. And so it's a beautiful thing that women are in the genealogy of Jesus. The first woman who's in the genealogy of Jesus is Tamar. Not, maybe not the first, but I'm just going to give you Tamar, all right? So Tamar, I believe her father-in-law was Judah. Her father-in-law, she lost her first husband, and Judah, it's, it's a whole nother discussion, but just to be clear, a, a widow woman had no hope in society, so it was the responsibility of the father-in-law for him to give her as a wife to another one of his sons. He promised to do that. I, I see some children present, and, and so I, um, I might have to use code language in, in this, all right? Because it's bad. But he forgets about Tamar. She gets her father-in-law drunk, disguises herself as a prostitute, and you know what happened, and has a child, and both she and her child are in the genealogy of Jesus. Broken people in a broken world in need of the king of grace. Three of these four women had disputable character. Rahab would be the next one. There were spies in Jericho, and so Rahab helped the spies. Her eyes were opened to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of this is in God's word. Just look it up. I'm not exaggerating. Now, she wasn't disguised as a prostitute. She was a prostitute. And yet her life was spared because she turned to the one true God. 
Ruth. She's the one person you might say good person in the story. She's faithful to Naomi, her mother-in-law. But by the way, all of these are Gentile women. She's a Moabite. And so it's just so wild. Now remember that church, thousands and thousands of Jewish believers, thousands of Gentile believers. It's a beautiful thing that Gentile believers see Gentiles in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Broken Gentiles in great need of the King of Grace. Last, Bathsheba. Your name is not even mentioned. It only says the wife of Uriah. I've already told you that story, right? She was an adulterer and so was King David. What a lot of people either don't know or forget, her son was Solomon. Wow. So if I... Haven't said it enough, I want to say it again. Jesus was sent by the God of grace. Jesus was sent by the God of grace to be our king of grace. Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. A lot of lost people in the genealogy of Jesus. I'm thankful for that. Are you? You want a perfect genealogy of Jesus? I don't know where you're going to find it. Because you see, we live in a broken world and we live among broken people. And if we open up our eyes to see the king and open up our ears to hear the king, we will be confronted with our own brokenness. You know, every Sunday, our prayer partners are up here and our prayer partners are in back. And let's say, I teach passionately on giving, right? And I know people are out there thinking, there's no way I'm going for it to pray for my son or to pray for my father or to pray for my neighbor because the minute I go forward, they're gonna think I'm not giving a dime. Kevin, he, he preached on giving your, who cares about worship, Right? giving your leftover, I'm not going forward. You do realize God speaks to us during this time about many, many things in our life and often they're not directly connected to the message. Why are you saying that? Well, if you come forward for prayer today, I'm assuming you're not a prostitute. I'm just being blunt, guys. If you've come forward um, for prayer today, I'm assuming you've not offered up your sons as burnt offerings. We're broken people. Last Sunday, I I just went up to Doris and Barry and I needed prayer. Do you need prayer today? Our prayer partners will be here. You need prayer today? Maybe you just sit down by someone next to you and pray because we are all in need of the king of grace. What a beautiful picture, a picture of our king, a king who would come and live among us, the bread representing his body, a king who would come and die on a cross and shed his blood, the king among us. 
I'm going to ask those preparing or serving communion to come forward at this time. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward at this time. As you come to take communion, don't rush. Our prayer partners will be here to pray for you. You have a need in your life or in your family's life or in a friend's life. Lift them up in prayer. Join others in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this opportunity to celebrate Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity to celebrate the price he paid that we might be called your children. Father, we celebrate this opportunity and we proclaim that our king is coming. Father, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Won't you come? Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the grace that you provide to us, Lord. You're so good. And you don't, you don't turn away those who have dark histories, dark pasts. And we don't just know that, Lord, we can see it in Scripture. That you welcome all who walk by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't exclude ourselves and that we wouldn't exclude anyone else. That we would receive the gospel and that we would turn and share the gospel regardless of who it is. We thank you for this Advent season, Lord. We thank you for the first coming of Christ. And until your next coming, Lord, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.